You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. I, I want to invite you on that. Just turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Last week we, uh, we entered into a thought with Mark chapter 4. All of this has been under the responsibilities of a godly family. In other words, if you're going to choose to lead a home in a godly way, what does that look like? How, do, how does that flesh out? Because a lot of times we can study things, but we don't know how, does, how, do, how do I live that? How do I flesh that out? And um, so in this, uh, uh, this week, last week, and the week to come, and probably one more week after, I want to just talk to you about owning each and every day. Because if you're going to choose to live godly, you're going to have to decide that you're going to own each and every day. In other words, you're responsible for every day. Uh, before we get into our text, my mind automatically just flies to Genesis where the creation account is there. Adam is charged to tend and to keep the garden. It literally means he is charged to secure and to cultivate the garden. Uh, that that is, he has responsibility there. And they both have responsibility in the sense that God told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of all the other trees in the garden, but don't. And there's responsibilities there. And so all day long, they have the responsibility. It's just like us. If we, we think about the fact that we should not lie, it's not just that you should not lie at 7 o'clock in the morning, right? Or 7 o'clock at night. It's every hour of every waking moment in our lives that you and I are to pull those things in that we know. And so we're to own them. And so when we're thinking about owning them, before I read our text, when we think about owning them, I just want to kind of recap what we went through last week. That if we're going to own each and every day, we have to discern the difference in life situations. Discern the difference in life situations. In other words, everything in life does not come packaged the same way. There are things that, that you and I own we talked about that last week, that, that you own your part. Then there is the part that other people play. I mean, there are other people in this world that are free agents to a degree. Everybody is under the lordship of Christ, lost, saved, or, or, or whatever. You, 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 you're under the con overall control. In other words, God is going to work out His plan inevitably, but you and I get the ability to make some decisions along the way. It doesn't mess God up. It doesn't trip Him up. It doesn't, it doesn't have Him changing His plan. But there are other people in this world, and sometimes other people make decisions, and those decisions hurt you. Sometimes those decisions hurt people around you, and that it impacts you. Sometimes those things put scars that will be there until Jesus comes and takes us back home and gives us a new body. There will be scars there. Some people bear, um, bear memories of being mistreated as children. Some people bear memories of being mistreated throughout all kinds of life situations, so there are other people that bear a part, but you can't own their part. In other words, you've got to own your part. And, and, and they need to own their part. They may own it, they may not. And that, that is just life. You know? I mean, you can't change somebody else. I had to get that drilled into my head in ministry because originally I had this Messiah complex. I thought I could fix everybody. I thought, and then I come to find out, hey, guess what? You're not Jesus. And, and, all. and it was a great revelation to me. I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. You mean I don't, I'm not responsible to fix all these people. Good grief. That takes a load off. But it actually, it does, but then it throws a new twist on it. Now I have to trust him that he's going to deal with that. I have to trust him he's going to deal with me. Then there are things that are just fallen world's part. When we read it in just a moment, you're going to see that the disciples were in a storm, a literal storm, not, not a figurative storm, not an emotional storm. At, but there is, even though there is an emotional storm, there is a literal storm. There is wind, there is waves, there is rain. I think there is probably thunder, lightning, all that stuff. There's a storm on the water. Then we have to realize that, that there are just things that happen in this fallen world. As I said last week, you know, we would say something like, the devil's against me, my, uh, he, my battery's dead. No, your battery's dead because it's seven years old, time to buy a new battery. That's why your battery might be dead. But we have to discern these things. We've got to figure out what is spiritual, what is natural, what is my part, what, is others, what are other people's part in this, this whole thing called my life. Then we have to decide what's God's part. We have to, in our minds, I believe, if we're going to own it, 
Because if we don't work through all this, then what do we do? We, we, we don't, it never gets settled, you know? I mean, even if we don't like the way it settles out, we need to just settle things. You ever, you ever just been glad to pull the scab off, pull the Band-Aid, all that, and just get it over with? I, I felt that way. We've been joking about the fact that I, had, I went to this, this clinic I'm going to uh, for doctor's appointments, and both the doctors are ladies, young ladies, and there's females, attendants, nurses, and all this stuff, and, and, all, and they were like, where do you want your steroid shot? I said, right here. They said, well, we typically give it somewhere else. I said, honey, you're the age of my daughter. I'm like, no, it hurts more. I said, I don't care. <laughs> Just put it right there. I'll own the decision, but I can't go any, I just can't and, and stuff. And so I, but we got it over with. I'm in the car. Christy's laughing because she knows it's killing me, you know, but, but it's sometimes it's good just to, just to own it, you know, just to, but what's God's part in this thing? You know, I can do what I can do, but then is God present? Well, he is present in everything. He, he, he's omnipresent, which means he's always present everywhere. He, he's omniscient. He knows everything that there is to know, past, present, and future. And he's also omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can change it. But what if he don't? Where is he at in all this? So let, let's read our verses and, and, and then take a um, take another step today. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41 reads like this. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, that's Jesus saying to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. A great windstorm arose and waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling he was in the stern, asleep on the pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father, today would you... Take your word, would you teach us, and would you make it possible through the power of the Spirit and the truth of your word, obedience of our hearts, that we would walk out of here better than we were when we walked in, in Christ's name, amen. See, for us to own it, it, it does call for us to discern the difference. We need to figure out how is all this playing out, and I say figure it out. We need to know what our part is, and that's the only thing that we can change. We need to understand that there are other people involved, there, there are forces involved in this world, and that, that God's involved in this, and what part is God playing? Those are things I think we should, we should work through, but just discerning what's going on is not going to fix it. There is a step that we need to make in responsibility. In other words, we need to decide the direction that we're going to go. You know, at, at once we figure out, this is what God is showing me as my part. This is what I need to own. Then what do I do from that point forward? It's, it's really, uh, one place this address is in Joshua 24, 14 through 15. He says, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers serve on the other side of the river in Egypt, serve the Lord, he says. And he, he puts an exclamation point there. He, he, he's like driving the point home that the whole deal here is serve the Lord. And as Christians, you know that that is our responsibility. He said, why is it that you, you profess to love me, but you don't do the things that I say? And so we are to serve the Lord. And, he, he, and Joshua, is, it's drilled in. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you shall serve, whether the gods which your father served uh, that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in which land you dwell. 
But as for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. And so he's in essence saying something like, you know, I I know grandma may have taught you this way, or or you may have learned this from this particular teacher, or you may have, have learned this from a life situation. He said, but if it does not line up with my word, then you need to choose. If it's wrong to serve God, in other words, if it is wrong to follow his word and trust in him, If that's wrong, then just choose who you're going to serve. You know, it's almost like God is saying, I'll draw a line in the sand and we can just decide this thing now. He says, you ought to serve God, but if you think that's wrong, then choose who you want to serve. It's almost like pick pick your weapon because you're going to war, I promise you. Because see, that's what Jesus does. Jesus, when he died on the cross, all those that would be in Christ, he ends the war. A lot of people don't realize that there's a war going on. But the Bible says that he put enmity between him and the man, between his seed and the serpent seed. He, he, He put a war there. And so anybody that's not in Christ is at war with God. And I got a news break for you. God always wins. And so there at war. But even as Christians, we can be in a battle against him even though the war's already won. You could be saved but still try to fight a battle against God every day of your life, trying to live in your own strength. So what will you act upon? And then that's what I want to talk to you about today. See, I I think you can act upon one of two things, and that's it. You act upon faith or you can act upon frustration. I think frustration is broken down into two things that we could talk about today. I'm not saying this is exhaustive, but I just want you to hear that, that there, there are probably two major ways that we can live in frustration as Christians warring against God. And that is you can become bogged down or you can become bitter. The right choice would be to be better. And I mean, we can spiritualize it. We can say you're held up, you're... Uh, harboring bitterness, or you can become holy. But I I just thought we we could carry it with us a little easier. Bogged down, bitter, or better. Let's talk about being bogged down for just a moment. So in this, you you making a decision of which way you're going to go, you and I are responsible. Even when we think we have not made a decision, we actually have made a decision. You know, to choose to do nothing is a choice. There are a lot of people in our world today that choose to do nothing. Uh, Listen to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. It says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus basically says, I'm, I'm going to get you to choose this day who, who you're going to serve. He says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, One thing you lack. So here, here he's bringing truth to confront him. Go your way, sell all you have, Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come. Take up your cross and follow me. Then he gets bogged down. Watch what happens. It says, but he was sad at his word and he went away sorrowful. Didn't say that he went away bitter. He said he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Do you see the dilemma in the man's life? You know, and I believe the disciples were bogged down for even a moment in the boat. Now, they made a decision differently, but still, you know, it's raining, it's storming, the wind's blowing, so the waves are crashing into the boat. It's beginning to feel. Then it gets to the point it's already feeling, but I, I think when the first anxiety started, they don't know what to do. You know, do, do we wake him up? Do we just hold on? Do, what, what do we do? There are a lot of folks in life that just get bogged down. Sometimes things happen in our lives that we just get bogged down with. This guy says he wants to follow Jesus. 
Now, I know that him giving away all his goods to the poor cannot buy him eternal life. We all know that. But the point is, Jesus was telling him and showing him that you're not willing to take and lay everything on the plate and say, Lord, it's all yours. You decide what my day shall be. Psalm chapter 1, it's not in your, in your handout, but Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it he meditates day and night. It says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. Whatsoever, it says, His leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he touches shall prosper. Don't miss what's going on there. He said he does not walk in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In it he meditates how long? Day and night. In other words, everything is just sold out to Jesus. In your life, what is the thing, if you're bogged down, what is the thing that you have in one hand while you're trying to hold the hem of his garment in the other hand? Because he says you're going to have to choose. And see, he, he's not going to let you straddle the fence. I believe at best all we get to do is stand on the other side of the fence with our hands on the barbed wire, leaning over, looking at what's going on with Jesus over here. But he's not going to let you run one side or the other. You, you don't get a little bit of the world and a little bit of Jesus. He says you give it all. That, that all to Jesus, as the songwriter said, I surrender, all to him I owe. And, and that you and I, uh, God wants us to not have one thing in one hand and one in the other. He wants both hands wrapped around his righteousness, his word, and that we can't play the game. And that's what he's telling this man. He says, I tell you what, one th there, there he is. There's something left. You have all these great riches. Why don't you just go give them away and then come on back here? And the man hung his head, walked away sorrowfully. I don't know what to do. Sometimes people are like that when they get news about their loved ones. Maybe a sickness, maybe cancer, maybe whatever. It's just you don't know what to do. Can, can I help you and me both? There's only one thing that God expects you to do. You own the part that belongs to you. I, I can't fix somebody whose heart is failing. I, I can't remove cancer. I can't even take the pain from broken hearts out of people's bodies. And I surely can't do it in my own life. But what can I do? I can trust him. To say that, God, you know me. You know what I struggle with. You know what's best for me. God, would you direct my path? As a matter of fact, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Listen to what he says. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And the Bible says, he will direct your paths. It, it didn't say that Jesus is going to come bail you out of a situation and there's no responsibility that you have. He said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. No riches in your heart greater than your love for Jesus. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So he says, you don't have to be bogged down. I watched somebody, when the doctor came out and told them, just as cold and heartless as it possibly could be told, he was there at a matter of three seconds. We're sitting in, the wait in this counseling room that they put you in when the doctor's going to come out and give you some serious news. The doctor walks out and he says, well, we've done all we can do. I'll be surprised if she makes tomorrow. And he walked out of the room. I'm sitting there thinking, dang, no, no, no comfort, no nothing, just walks out. I watched the husband's head bow down 
And I thought he was going to be there weeping and sobbing. And he was. He was crying. But I thought he was. And he said this. He started praying. He said, God, whether she lives or whether she dies, blessed be the name of the Lord. Choose this day, he says, whom you will serve. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. You see, how is that winning? Well, if you've got faith in Christ, the moment you close your eyes here, you open them there. That we're a winner either way this thing goes. But to have the knowledge and the peace and the faith to just declare it. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it don't. And you can't control what other people do. You can't control the circumstances around you. And you can't, you can't control what God does. You say, if God loved me, he wouldn't have took them. You see, well, that takes us to another thought. You can become bogged down, but you also can become bitter. Did you know that sometimes God... because he loves us, may take something away from us. And that's hard. But he's in control. He's working in the middle of it all. You know, in the text we have, Mark chapter 4, the disciples are there. And they, it seems in the language from everything that I've studied, not that I'm some Greek scholar, but it seems to be that, that, that from what I've studied and read behind people, that, that, that it's almost like they were indignant toward Jesus. I mean, you've got to figure. Listen to the, what they're saying. Don't you even care? I mean, think about who they're talking to. They're talking to Jesus, which honestly, you might as well just go ahead and be real with him, right? Because when... People come to him and they don't speak. The Bible actually says, and knowing his heart, you know, it's like, you're, you're not going to go, I'm not going to let, I'm going to zone in, man. I ain't going to let him know what I really think. <laughs> really? When he is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, right? So he knows. But it seems like they have this righteous indignation toward him. You put us in this boat, we're sinking, and don't you even care that we're going to drown when all the while he may have allowed the storm in order to teach them and draw them closer to him. Listen to Luke chapter 15. Now in Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read just a few verses, but you have the, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son has uh, um, wasted the father's live. He gives his inheritance that's due to the, the younger son. He gives it to him. He goes off. He wastes it. The older brother's at the house still working with the father, working for the father and doing all these things. And listen to what it says. After the father, the son comes, the younger son comes back, the father starts having a party. The older brother, we find him in 25, says, Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him, talking about the father, has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatty calf. He was angry, this older brother, and would not go out, go, go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And there's more righteous indignation, more thinking that you're God and he's not God. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, not his brother, but this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You had a party for him. <clears throat> and this is what drives it home. I mean, you could preach a whole series of messages just on this thought. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. And then listen to what he says. And it was right that we should make Mary and be glad. And, and that's the whole point. God only does what's right. 
And if you pull a huge point out of this thing, he tells the son, son, what I decide to do is right. You may not understand it. You may not like it. You may look at it as if this, all this was wasted. But if I can tell you anything today is that God's telling us that even if you give all your great possessions away to come and to follow him, that his word is right and he is in control of all of this. He, he has all power in all situations. So when you and I feel like we are God, he's saying, realize that you're not God. You see, that's the difference about the name of Jesus that we worship. There are a lot of people in this world named Jesus. There are a lot of people that have had the name Jesus. But our Christ is distinctive. He is Jesus the Christ. Not just any Jesus. He is Jesus the Christ. In the Greek, it's Jesus Christos. That is one of the most, that was one of the first words that I wanted somebody that I knew knew the answer. Teach me what this means in the Greek, in the original language, because I know there's something about different about his name. It was his name that saved me. It was his name that delivered me off of alcohol. It was his name that set me free from the bondage of sin. See, it's Jesus' salvation. Jesus means salvation, but not just any salvation. Christos, the anointed of God. He is the only one that has ever been given that name to be the anointed of God, to be the redeemer. He said that the spirit of God had sent him to deliver the captives, to set them free, to break the bondage of sin, to bring healing to the nations. That's him. It's Christ. And so when you and I think that we know better than him and we get bitter at him, ask yourself a question. Who and what could you ever save? And I have to bow. Because see, everything that there is, even the storm, even, even the winds and the rain and the raging storm on the outside that's going on, Revelation tells of him that they looked and they could not find anyone worthy to open the scroll and to look in it. Even the, the, the strongest of the angels couldn't do it. But it said that there stood one as if it was a lamb that had been slain before the foundation of the world. And Christ the son of the living God takes the scroll and he opens it and the scroll is the deed to the earth. It's the deed. In other words, he's the only one that has an authority. He is the only one that has a right to say that he owns all this. And he reads, opens it. And from that point forward, all heck starts breaking loose. And God starts putting bowls of judgment upon this, this world. And he takes this world back that he never really let go of. He just let somebody think he had control of it, the enemy. He just give him an opportunity to do some things. He comes and he takes it, casts the devil and the demons off into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone that was created for them, cast them off. And then here our God is a conquering king showing who he is. But, but here's what we get to do. We get to see the king immortal and invincible every day of our lives that we open this book. Every moment that we look into this book, we get him. And if you're going to follow him, everything that he says and everywhere he leads, I promise you, will go against the grain of the systems of this world. It's going to go contrary. Can't we just go along to get along? No. Nope, 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 nope. Nope. We go with Jesus. The old song said, I'm going on with Jesus, right? I'm going with him. And if you go with him, life's going to be different. See, we, we always, those of us who've got 
just a couple of extra years. And some on beyond me would say, boy, I just miss the good old days when you could leave the screen door, the big door open at night and the screen door and hear the crickets and all. Good thing we ain't living right now. You wouldn't be able to sleep at night for the cicadas this year. <laughs> but anyhow, I just miss them good old days. Can I, can I share something with you? I, I hear what you're saying. But the reason I believe we think they were such good days is because we didn't have no pushback. The government, for the most part, the best we knew, did not have a problem with us holding to what this book said. The people in the community, if they didn't believe it, they were scared to say anything about it because the church was considered the centerpiece of the community. And there were people, even though they may not have believed by faith as a Christian, they still believed that there was a creator, a sovereign, just like the ones that founded this country. Not every one of them were practicing Judeo-Christian believers, but they were at least deist. I mean, they, they believed that there was a God there. And that he, there was a supreme ruler, and that's where we get our, our, our law from, our rules from, our, 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 the morals from. There's a supreme moral law giver to have a supreme law, and it's not us, and they believe that. And, and people back in the past, in, in, in some of our uh, past times on this earth, 50s, 60s, 70s, and brushing up into the 80s, there wasn't a lot of pushback. But now we have a government that sets out a whole month to celebrate what God calls an abomination. And there ain't no Jesus month, is it? There ain't no Jesus week. There ain't no Jesus day. But there is here. You with me? And we choose that we're going to serve the Lord. And, and that we set out a holy gathering this day. And that's what all this is about. It's like, well, why we go to church on Sunday? Because we chose as the ecclesia. It means the called out ones. When they have a city council meeting, that is an ecclesia. The people come out of their houses to a meeting, but they come for, <laughs> well, they, I'm not getting into that. They come for different reasons. We come for a specific reason too. And our specific reason should not be to worship us, not to get our fix, uh, you know, uh, not, to, not to meet the fancy of what we want to happen. We should be coming so that we might glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we might honor Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who can save, who can change, and who has impacted our lives. And we want to grow, and we want to pray with one another, and we want to sing hymns together, and we want to fellowship together because we have all things in common, and it's Jesus Christ. That's why we come together. And, and no matter what the government says, did you hear my heart? No matter what they say, I know Christ didn't die in vain, but my brothers and sisters in China and all across this world ain't dying in vain today for no reason. Because they choose to meet together and to worship him, they lose their lives. And you and I are to meet together knowing it doesn't matter what's going to happen to us. We choose to meet together. You can't meet together. Watch. We'll kill you. So be it. Send me home early. Why do you think that those disciples in those early days made it the distance that they made it and stuck with it? They saw it with their own eyes. Did you hear me? If they saw something that was not real with their own eyes, why did they go to the stake to die for it? Because I'm telling you right now, if it had just been a hoax, and, and the thing is, it's not just in this book that they died there is record that they died, and some so, far, so right up on their heels. I mean, if you look at Polycarp, it wasn't far. I mean, he, he could very well have known the Apostle Paul. And they died at the stake and on 
Uh, Peter, supposedly by historical facts, is crucified upside down, beheaded. As a matter of fact, if you read in the, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, go all the way to the end of the roll call of faith, and some that were sawn in two, some that were beheaded, and others, that the, the world is not even worthy to hear what's happened to them. And if it wasn't real, I'm telling you right now, I'd be like, hey, whoop, <laughs> put the fire out. We was just joking. <laughs> you know, we're just playing a prank. But no. Nope. Polycarp, they tried to get him to say, uh, I didn't even, this ain't in my notes, so I'm trying to get it back in my head. Oh, it, it, was, it meant hail Caesar. And I think it's, I can't, I ain't even going to try to pronounce the, the word, but it, it meant they tried to get him to say, Hail Caesar. And he wouldn't say nothing but Hail Christ. Bow before Caesar or we'll take your life. Hail Christos. And so in our lives, we have to decide. Do we get bogged down? Do we get bitter at this God who is ruling it all? Or do we get better? You know, I think ultimately we, we get bitter because we don't trust God. Let me give you a couple of, of verses, and let me do this for time's sake. In Ephesians chapter 4, He tells us that about this choice that we make. Verse 17 through 22 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, who having given themselves over the lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. And I just want you to understand that is the lost world doing what the lost world does. And you and I, if you're in Christ Jesus, you did the same thing before Christ saved you. But now that you're in Christ, he says, but you have not so learned Christ. And if anybody teaches you that Christ is okay with you just living however you want to live, contrary to this book, I, I would not listen to them. But you've not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which, listen, grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Go in the opposite direction. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, and do you hear it? Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So, so what you're trying to, to wade through the decision that you're going to make. You can walk by faith or frustration. Walking by frustration can, can bog you down. It can cause you to get bitter. But if you want to walk by faith, you're choosing to be better. In God's eyes, and that's all that matters, right? Is that in God's uh, eyes. Listen to 2 Kings 2, 1 through 4. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. So here's King David in the Old Testament, dying words. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. In other words, pointing out a man wants to die after that the judgment. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. I, I, I didn't point it out in the last service, but listen. And prove yourself a man. In other words, own every day of your life. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, not, not in David's ways, but in the Lord's ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and, whatever you, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill His word which He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. I mean, that speaks so much to me 
as a man, as a dad, as a pastor, that if you'll just walk in the Lord's ways, there'll never not be a man of God that takes the responsibilities to lead godly. There'll never, they're always going to be somebody. And, and, and see, our idea of prosperity messes it up. We have been given this idea of what, what the world has taught us that prosperity means. But I, I know plenty of broke people that are prospering in the Lord and they're, they're happy. I know plenty of millionaires that are miserable. But I also know those who have a lot and they serve the Lord with gladness. But all of it centers around choosing this day whom you're going to serve. And, 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 and does it all belong to him? I love watching people that have stuff get it. They go, wow, I'm just now getting it. I thought that what I was prospering, in other words, the, I thought the, the extra that I was making, like the interest of thing, on things, I thought that was the Lord's. Now I've come to find out that what I was working with to make the other, that's his too. As a matter of fact, it's all his. And I'm sitting over there going, I'm just jumping up and down. I'm going, you get it. You're getting it. It's all his. Your family's his. Your children are his. Unborn, born, they're all his. Their shirt on your back is his. Every bit of it is his. It's all his. The knowledge that you have, that's his. It's all his. The end of Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, I got there in your notes. I just want to catch one word. But if we hope for what we do not see, which is faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It, it, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That word perseverance means steadfastness, consistency, endurance. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. And I'm just telling you right now, all of us know that the world drags us, doesn't it? It pulls us. If you're hanging with people that are pulling you away from God, guess what you got to do? Come on, church. Cut them off. That's right. I like that word. There were some other words that were right, but cut them off. Cut them off. I tried to go back one time when, I, when God saved me. I went back and I found what they were offering was different than what God's people was offering me. And I was like, man, I don't know what's wrong with me, but this time this don't feel right. I'm going to go over here with these people. Cut them off. If, if, if there are anything in your life, if, if it's a job, and you know, sometimes God does this. I, I know people that struggled. I, I lost this job because this is the, my I love this job. This is a great job. And I was like, well, maybe God shut the plant down because you love the job more than you love Jesus. You ever thought about that? But why would God do that? Because God wants you to be close to him. He wants me to be close to him. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. And I want to encourage you right here as we close. Fear not, he says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Nothing anybody's ever given up for Christ was ever lost in the peace that come in their life. I, um, when God called me to ministry, I struggled a lot. I, I thought, well, I, I had this job with Michelin that I had just got. And God was already burdening me about ministry, but here I am. I'm six miles away from the house. I've got, a, got this great job with this amazing company. But the job that I really wanted come open the first year I was at Michelin. I had been working for 18 years on getting that job. Is the teacher for the machine shop course at the vocational school. I love skilled trade stuff. And, and let me just say this. One of the reasons our country is in the shape it's in, one of the reasons... And all is because we have taught people for years upon years that you need to get a four-year four psychology degree if you want to be uh, something in this world. And I say four-year psych degree, whatever. But if you go, but skilled trade people are second-class citizens. 
and all, and, and you're going to find out that you don't even have McDonald's without skilled trade people because the equipment that's inside there is made somewhere. And it's made in China right now because we don't have anybody here to make anything anymore. And they're scrambling right now trying to figure out how we're going to do this, but you can't replace the knowledge that was lost in that workforce in a year. That's why stuff was burdened on my heart even then because I, I could see it coming and I just, I love my trade and all. Man, that job nine months out of the year, no overtime. I mean, there was no working because the plant shut down. It was the vocational school. Get your little selves out of here at three o'clock. I'm going home. I'm going fishing. You know, no weekends, no call in at night. I was, man, I was, I'm like, got the phone call one year in admission from the guy that's retiring, David Ferguson. Well, I'm retiring. You've been waiting a long time for this. And man, I had been judging competitions all across the state of South Carolina, vocational school competitions, was judging uh, tech school competition from Midlands Technical College, being a judge, judging the machine tool technology program there, donating gifts to, and all this kind of stuff. And all. I was wanting that job. He called and he said, well, I'm fixing to put, put my papers in. It's coming up. You're first in line. It took me two more years before I quit Michelin and went to ministry. But that day, I didn't even hang the phone up. I said, the second in line was a boy named Scott Fowler. He was, he's a friend of my brother's, went to school with him. And Scott didn't care nothing. But all Scott cared about was the fact that he's working nine months a year. He could care less about teaching them kids anything, my personal opinion. If he's watching, he can call me. Uh, but... I was bitter. I had worked 18 years to, to have that opportunity give to me. That was going to be it. That I would retire from that job. And I was bitter. It took me two years to choose. Even though I made that, that day, I, I made that decision, it took me two years to, make, to, to give in. You're taking everything from me, God. I didn't realize then what I realize now. He never takes anything away from you that he don't give you better in return. Never. You might think that it's better, but it's never better than him. It's never better than him. He gives you all, listen to what the father says in the prodigal son. Son, you've been with me the whole time. He says, and all that I have, not all that I had, all that I have is yours. And wayward children, prodigals, and all the ones that may seem to mess everything up cannot exhaust the riches of what God has for his people. Can't, can't. He made all this. Don't you think he can make a little more? Paul says in Philippians 3, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And if you want that translated, the best I can do, PG, is dung. D-U-N-G, dung. That I may gain Christ. Hebrews 11, 5 through 6, Paul says this, By faith Enoch, I'm mean, sorry, not Paul, it was said this, that you have an opportunity to please God because by faith Enoch walked with God. I mean, it was, all, it was taken away that he did not see death because he was found, was not, I'm sorry, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then the next verse, verse 6 says, it is impossible for us without faith to please God but if we come to him, we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you, my friend, can please God. And I can please God. Enoch's no better than you are. No better than me. Human being saved by the grace of God that has the opportunity by faith to trust God. And if you stand with me for just a moment, you have that opportunity today in your life to just trust him. And I don't know what your situation is, but I can tell you this, I know some things.
I know without a shadow of a doubt, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, you're not God. That I know. I'm not God. And you can make a choice. You can choose to just stall out, not know what to do. Sometimes you need a, day, a moment because you don't know what to do. And if you, unless you've heard from him, don't do anything. But you've got to put your faith there. You can get bogged down for life. You can get bitter at the people around you and at God. Or you can get better. And the way that you get better is you take your hands off of all of the things in your life. You trust God and you walk by faith that he knows what he's doing and you don't. That's strong. That's just the truth. Because if you'll come to him, he will give you wisdom and direction. He'll direct your paths. So whatever you got uh, going on today, um, I just want to encourage you that God, he knows. He hears your prayers. He, um, he, he is intimately and intently concerned about what's going on in your life because it's his glory that you and I are going to give. You know, I mean, we're going to bring him glory or we're not going to bring him glory. So he's invested in this thing. So much so that he put his spirit in you and it cost Jesus his life on the cross to get you that. And then know that other people, there are people praying for you. And, and I, I just want to encourage you, you just make a choice today. Choose whom you're going to serve each and every day of your life so that you can own it, own it, what's yours. And the rest of it, let God handle it. Let God handle them, let God handle his part, and let God handle this fallen world. Father, as we come to you at this time, God, we give you the glory for, for all that you have ever done for us and ever will do for us. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the people in this room. And God, anybody in, in this room that is hurting, confused, struggling, don't know which way to turn, God, would you please be who you are to them in their situation. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.